Hebrews 4.16 is our theme this year. And as I've mentioned over and over again, and I'll express that tonight, uh, God gives us considerable permission. It's considerable in the sense that it's open, it's vast, it's unlimited, and He gives us permission to come into His presence, to seek Him out. And we want that permission. We want, God, we want God's permission to see, and seeing God answer prayer because that's what He wants. That's what we see here in 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 to 15. And tonight we see a passage that encourages not only about asking and not only about God answering our prayers, but we see a passage of Scripture this evening that teaches us about asking according to God's will. Now, honestly, I said this, I think, this morning that I'm not sure if I've, in all the years I've been saved, I've heard much preaching on these two verses, and I've read a lot of books on prayer, and what's there is good content, but I'm not sure that any of them have really gone deep enough into that particular subject that we might know how God wants us to succeed in this matter of prayer. Now, let me say this tonight, because we're going to be right down to business tonight, because we're just going to get into this and get our hearts ready and be prepared for a week of prayer. Tomorrow night is individual and family prayer time, so I want you to designate some time to pray. Uh, some of you may have distant family members. I encourage you, maybe through the Zoom technology or FaceTime or some other means, that you would uh, sync up with your family members to pray. If you're a single person and you just feel like you need someone else to pray with, I hope that you'll find another single person in our church of the same, the same gender that you can pray with. And then starting Tuesday night and the rest of the week, there are prayer group times that you can sign up for. We will be expanding those prayer times into early mornings as well and afternoons. And, and by the way, you can, if you just have a time during the, after, during the daytime that you feel works best for you, the staff here is more than available to make time to pray with you as well. They'll take carved time into their schedule and, and work it in there. But we've got men and ladies that can pray with you if that works out better for you as well. So please take that and avail yourself of it. Well, let's look at 1 John tonight. Let's do a panorama. Number one, the book of 1 John is not shy about prayer. Going over in chapter 1, verse 9, go back over there with me for just a minute, we see several things about prayer. In fact, we find three mentions of prayer in 1 John. The very first mention is found in 1 John 1, 9. Familiar verse, but I want you to turn to it. We're going to look at a few important verses, so please just don't listen. I want you to, especially when I get to Romans chapter 8 a little bit later, I want you to read that with me. But 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 gives us a principle of prayer. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, the very first thing John mentions to us, which is a core principle of prayer, and I say that again, it's a core principle of prayer, is confession in prayer. You want to write that down, confession in prayer. The other night, the other night my wife was leading some ladies in prayer, and, and uh, they're, they're just eager to learn prayer, and several of them are just very shy, and I'm, I'm praying they're watching tonight, and uh, we'll get some instruction, but they're, very, they're just they're shy about praying, and, they're, and they just... You know, and I think this is the heart cry of every Christian is that, especially when you start as a new believer, you're not really sure what to say and how to say it. And, and all of us can remember those first, those uh, being a, as a young Christian, just fumbling around with your words and not sure what to say. And if you got saved out of a different religious background, you might remember a prayer that, was, that you were taught that you memorized and realize that really doesn't apply in the, the Christian realm there. And so you realize that you've got to learn how to pray and you just think, I don't know what to say. My mind's going blank and things like that. But we learn, and my wife was sharing this with these ladies, that one of the important things we know about prayer, one of the core essentials, is confession in prayer. In fact, it's one of the first things we do. We confess our sins to God. Now, we said this in our study a few weeks ago when we were in 1 John chapter 1. Confessing our sins to God. The word confession means agreeing with God what He says about our sins. It's agreeing with God what He says about our sins. So in other words, when God says, calls a lie a lie, we don't try to give it a different term. We don't call it a gray matter. We agree with God what He says. When we read the Scriptures and God convicts us about covetousness or worldliness or convicts us about something in our life or maybe quenching the Spirit, is agreeing with God, then when we get on our knees before the Lord, we say, Lord, I confess 
that I've committed the sin of quenching the Spirit of God, or I've committed the sin of worldliness, or whatever may be there, and maybe, or maybe, Lord, just help me. We, we had a prayer time last night with about 14 people, and it was wonderful. More than, more, the majority of them don't attend our church on a, on a physical basis and watch our live stream services. And one of them, I asked him a question. I said, was there something we can help you with after we had a time of Bible study and things with that? And one of them said, well, Pastor, please pray for me. And they, they said, I have this issue in my heart. And it's a very, very serious issue. He said, I have this issue in my heart. There's everything going on in the world and trials I've had this year. And so we prayed about that matter. And I told him, I told him later, I'm thankful that you had honesty enough to say what was, what was going on in your life so we confess that before God. And so confession is, is agreeing with God about displeasure, about sin in our life. Now, confession of our sin, this is important. Confession of our sin brings the mercies of God into our life. Now remember, as we study the principles of Hebrew 4.16, it says, Let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy. Well, one of the ways we obtain mercy is through confession of sin. Listen to this. Proverbs 28.13. If you're not familiar with that, write it down and look it up. Proverbs 28.13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh his sins shall obtain mercy, shall receive mercy. Well, you know what? It, it implies cleansing and it implies forgiveness, but really I like the fact that as Solomon emphasized he shall receive mercy, and that's what we need. To, you know, and I said this last week, mercy, mercy is the first critical step to being on praying ground. We must plead the mercy of God if we're going to be on praying ground. Now, Psalm 66, 18 tells us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So here's the thing. I remember years ago, uh, Dwight Tomlinson, who's one of our missionaries and pastored successfully for 40-something years here in the state of California. He started a church in Redwood City. He had a church that he started. He went to Hong Kong for a period of time, started a church that's still going on successfully in Hong Kong, came back over here. It was about maybe about 20 miles from us here in a, in a distant city, started a church there that's still going on right now. And then the Lord led him kind of abruptly out of there and had him go down to Southern California. And Brother Tomlinson spent the remainder of his pastoral ministry down there in Southern California about three years ago when he retired, four or five years ago actually, when he retired from a pastorate to go into missions, and he spends half his time here and half his time over in the 1040 window, and we're thankful to support him. But I remember saying this to a group that back in the early days when I was a college student, we're not that far distance in age, but Brother Thomas was a young preacher. I think at that time he was maybe 24, 25. I was in our college group at the church I got saved in. I'd asked Brother Thomas to come preach for us for a, 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 a student retreat that we had. And I remember him saying this. He was preaching on a topic. I don't remember what passage he was preaching from. But I remember him saying this. He said, now, he said, young people, he says, I've learned over time that the importance of having a clean heart. He said, I can preach with a dirty heart. He said, I can, I can fake people with a dirty heart. But he said, there's one thing I learned about the Christian life. I cannot pray with a dirty heart because the moment I pray, I get convicted. And so we understand this evening that if we, if we can even try to force our way into prayer without confession of sin, somewhere along the way, the Holy Spirit of God is just going to get a hold of us and help us to realize that we're not right with Him. So we must realize confession is important. 1 Samuel 28, 6 talks about, uh, talks about Saul, King Saul, who had unconfessed sin in his life. And here's what the Bible says. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. And so when we read the life of Saul, we realize unconfessed sin led to no answers from God. So number one, we see in 1 John. 1 John 1, 9, we see confession of sin. Look at 1 John 3, 22. 1 John 3, 22 tells us the second thing. The second thing John says to us, and I think he, he learned this very well from the Lord Jesus Christ. We find this in the Gospel of John. We find a condition for prayer. 
verse John 3, 22, we find a condition for prayer. The condition for prayer says this, and whatsoever. Now, it's, again, it's, it's kind of that, that, that open-ended, that, what I call that uh, considerable permission. Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Now, we're going to see tonight especially how the word of God and prayer go hand in hand. You cannot have prayer without the Word of God, and you cannot have the prayer, you cannot have the Word of God without prayer. The two must go hand in hand. And so notice 1 John 3.22 tells us a condition of prayer. It tells us the, the importance of obedience to God's Word. Turn within your Bibles to Proverbs 28.9. Look at Proverbs 29. Very, very convicting verse here. Proverbs 28.9. In Proverbs 28.9, and we teach this in discipleship. This is one of the core verses we teach in discipleship. It says this. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. That's pretty strong. He that turneth his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be abomination. Now, when we think about commandments, and we think about the promises of God, John, by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, put this verse right in the middle between 1 John 2 and 1 John 5. In 1 John 2, 3, and 4, there is an abundance of emphasis on commandments, core commandments, important commandments, life-changing commandments, you know, irrefutable commandments, commandments that, that God is very serious about. And as he talked about those commandments, he probably even sensed among the believers a little bit of pushback from them and that, John, really? Do we really have to do that? And so John made mention to them, and he did it in an upbeat way in 1 John 3.22 about the condition for prayer, that we must realize obedience to the Word of God is an essential. It is an important, uh, you know, non-negotiable essential for God to answer our prayers. Now, I believe that goes along with 1 John 15, verses 7 and 8. John 15, verses 7 and 8, Jesus said this, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, that's obedience, and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Here it is my Father glorified, that you may bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. There's so many things I can say about that, and that's a whole different topic I'll get into another time. But I want you to understand, we see in First John, number one, we see confession of sin. Number two, we see condition for sin. But notice number three, and that's our passage tonight. Would you go over to First John 5? Notice the third thing John emphasizes, and would you write this down? He emphasizes to us conformity in prayer. Conformity in prayer. Now what's he saying there? He's talking about here about praying according to the will of God. That when our praying is in accordance to the will of God, he hears us. Now we're going to see some things about this that helps us in our Christian maturity. That will help us in understanding the mind of God. And help us understanding how the world can be changed. I was just reviewing before we were coming to church tonight. I was just reviewing... Uh, some, some thoughts and some quotes from uh, great men of prayer. And I've got a, I don't know how long it is. I gave Brother, Brother Vaughn probably a list about this long of about quotes that I have. But I think the, the, the listing I have is probably about, about several pages long. It's just an enormous amount. And I'm talking about some great, great men of God in prayer, some great thoughts that these men learned over a number of years. And if you come a little bit earlier to the service and just zoning in, we have in the PowerPoint, sometimes we'll have a couple of quotes up there that are very stimulating and uh, that, that help us there. But uh, 
But I, I was looking at those quotes there, and repeatedly I was reading about some of these great men of God, about this, uh, uh, this praying and according to the will of God. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. Praying according to the will of God. Confident praying. Conformity in our prayer. I want you to notice three things tonight about how we pray, how our praying must conform to God's will. In fact, if it doesn't conform to God's will, God cannot answer our prayers. I want you to see three things very simply tonight. Number one, would you notice the principle? The principle. God wants us to pray. He wants us to touch the scepter of the king. He wants us to come boldly to the throne of grace. Here's what John Bunyan said, great man of prayer. John Bunyan said this, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. There's an emphasis on prayer. I said this this morning. God wants to hear our voice in prayer. God delights in hearing you talk to him. If you did nothing else in the morning, if you got up and just said, Good morning, Lord, God would be very pleased with that. God wants to hear our voice in prayer. He wants to hear our voice free, uh, uh, repeatedly, many, many times here. Um, prayer is the basic exercise of the Christian life. It is a vital link to our fellowship with God. Listen to this as I th- think about the principle type. Number one, the Bible tells us that we are to pray faithfully. We are to pray faithfully. Listen to Luke 18.1. Jesus said, men ought always to pray and not to faint. You know what that's telling us there? When seasons of discouragement come, and they do, when seasons of sorrow come, and they do, when we are disillusioned, and that will happen, he says it doesn't matter. Instead of fainting, instead of wearing away, instead of falling apart, he says men ought always to pray. If you get insulted, instead of reacting to it, pray. If you get hurt by words, instead of reacting to it, pray. If you've been, if you've been hurt by something, instead of reacting to it, pray. If something triggers you off, you've got to pray. That's what Jesus was teaching us in Luke 18, 1. Men ought always to pray. We are to be faithful in our praying. God never tells us a time limit, except for the fact at least an hour, we find that in Scripture, But he tells us to pray, and to pray as often as we can. We're to pray faithfully. Secondly, the Bible teaches us we're to pray fervently. You heard that this morning. Uh, James 5.16. Again, the book of James says much about prayer as well there too. But James 5.16, a fitting close to the book of James as he deals with prayer. He says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. This week as we launched our prayer groups, that was the verse I asked the prayer group leaders to read to the, to the, uh, the audience and group they were praying with. Because it's reminded to us, those are the conditions for answered prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now what's God saying about fervent prayer? We're going to get into this a little bit more. He's talking to us about putting all of ourself into our praying. The Bible calls it wrestling in prayer. It's laboring fervently in prayer. That's what it said about Epaphras in, in Colossians 4.12. That's what it means over there in, in Romans 15.30 when it talks about striving together in your prayers with Him. It's talking about laboring fervently in our prayers, being fervent, praying down the fire of God, if you would. We're to pray faithfully. We're to pray fervently. But notice this. We're to pray frequently. There's, there's no such thing as just, well, I only show up one time in my prayer time. That's all I, I do. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. We're to pray frequently. Now notice 1 John 5, 14. Here, here's what the Bible is telling us. He says, and this is the confidence we have in him. Notice this, these next three words. If we ask. If we ask. If we ask. There's something about asking people for help 
that there may be a sense of reluctance on our part. And I think many times that carries over into our prayer life. Frequently throughout the Bible, we're encouraged to ask. Prayer is asking God for help. Prayer is drawing upon the unlimited resources of God for our need. Prayer is asking God to do what we cannot do. Prayer is asking God to do the impossible. Prayer is asking. John R. Rice wrote a book. You should read it if you don't have it. It should be on your bookshelf. One of the favorites you read. Asking and receiving. Listen to this. If, we're, if we do not ask, we are being negligent. If we do not ask, we are being independent of God. If we do not ask, we are limiting ourselves of every good gift and every perfect gift which comes down from above. Everything God sends us from heaven is good and it's perfect. Amen. It's something we must remind ourselves of. It's good and it's perfect. And if we're not asking from God, basically it's our own fault we're not receiving. Hey, listen, the Bible says you have not because you ask not. You have not because you ask not. I preached a few years ago a message from uh, Isaiah chapter 7 about King Ahaz and how the Lord sent Isaiah to him. And he says, ask of me. He says, ask me of the heavens above or the earth below for beneath. He said, Ask me, he says, unlimited wise. I put no, I put no boundaries or limits on it. And, and, and King Ahaz amazingly said, I will not ask of God. He said, I don't feel like I need to ask God for his help. We must ask. If we ask, the Bible says, if we ask, he says, we, they know the conditions on us, are we going to ask or are we going to try to solve it ourselves? Listen to how frequently in the Bible, this is only partial listening, listen how frequently emphasis is made in the Bible about asking. We find in 1 Samuel 127 the testimony of Hannah uh, to, after Samuel was born. She said this, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I have asked of him. Well, we've got to go back to the early part of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel to revisit the fact that Hannah was unable to have children. She, her, her womb was closed. There was no way she could have children. And she got this place of desperation. She was being ridiculed by, by, by Penina, and uh, she just felt inadequate. Her husband, Elkanah, he, couldn't, he just could not. He thought giving her more gifts would make her happy. And she says, that's not what I want. I want to have a child. I want to have a male child. I want to have a son that will glorify God. And he shape in her mind in her praying and she said for this child i pray and the lord has given me my petition which i have asked of him listen to solomon in the early days of his sovereignty in first kings 3 5 in gibeon the lord appeared to solomon in a dream by night and notice this and god said ask what i shall give thee can you imagine that god came to him after his coronation said okay solomon you're the king now you're following your, your, the footsteps of your father david Ask me, and I'll give it to you. And you know, Solomon was a wise man. He didn't ask great things for himself. He asked for the wisdom of God. But God encouraged him to ask. We read over in Psalms 2.8. This is the Lord, God the Father, speaking to God the Son. But it can be applied to us when we think about praying in the, in the realm of praying for missionaries. He said this in Acts 2.8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. During the week, I pray that prayer and ask God, give us, give us the world for Jesus Christ. Help us that the gospel will get into areas where we don't believe it's been preached. Or help it to get into areas where it's difficult. Help it to get into places where the boundaries are closed. Open those doors. God said, ask me, and I'll give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. Listen to what Jesus told the, the 
disciples in the upper room. And you got to bear in mind, from John chapter 13 all the way to John chapter 17, I mean, basically Jesus is pouring his heart out to these disciples. He's teaching them many things about ministry. He taught them about what real service is about. He taught them about the Holy Spirit. He taught them about fruit bearing. But he taught them essentially here over and over again in chapter, in chapter 14, again in chapter 16, actually in chapter 15, three straight chapters. He taught them about asking and receiving. And in John chapter 14, he told them about the importance of asking in the name of Jesus Christ. Listen to what it says here. He says, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. I went to a conference years ago, and I remember probably a couple of our men went with me. Went to a conference a year ago. A noted fundamental Baptist preacher got up in that conference. There were thousands of preachers and thousands of Christian workers there. He got up and said, When you pray, you don't need to pray in Jesus' name. My goodness, it's right here in John chapter 14. It tells you to pray in Jesus' name. What are you talking about? A third grader could read that and figure that out. Amen? I mean, here's what it says is what you should be doing there. And he tried to create a new theology. And there were preachers in that conference that became, didn't know what they were supposed to do. And, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm looking around and said, I can't believe these guys don't know what to do. Guys got up to pray. They prayed for the offering. Nobody prayed in Jesus' name. I said, good night. Somebody better help us on that, that problem here. And, uh, you know, I came back and said, we're not going down that pathway where just because he preached that, he preached a heresy that is not biblical there to say not to pray in Jesus' name. The Bible says specifically, if you ask in my name, ask anything in my name, that will I do. Jesus said here, listen, you've got to ask in my name. You've got to ask to me. Why? Because God wants us to know, to realize that we are beggars in need of God's help, and we ask in Jesus' name because there's prestige and there's power and there's influence through the name of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3.20, now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. I mean, listen, brother and sister Christ, I can stop right there. God is encouraging us to ask. The basic principle in prayer is asking God if we ask anything according to his name. It's down to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or we think according to the power that worketh in us. Listen to James 1.5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. Over and over and over again, the basic principle in prayer is asking. We need to be prepared as we go to prayer and say, God, this is what I'm asking God, could you do this? And God, could you, would you do this? And God, would you do this there? And again, we go back to 1 John 3.22. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him. I mean, that got ingrained in John. I have to imagine that John had one of the greatest prayer lives in the first century because he understood the principle of asking. The basic principle in prayer is ask. Jesus taught us in Matthew. Matthew 7, 7, ask and ye shall receive. Listen to what Matthew Henry said about that. Matthew Henry said, God's promises are to be our pleas in prayer. And I remind you today that as we think about the Word of God, God gives us clues through His Word how we're to pray intelligently, how we're to pray effectively. So number one, we see the principle. But notice number two, and this gets us to the core of 1 John. 1 John 5, 14, 15. Notice we see the permission. This goes into what we've been talking about from Hebrews chapter 4. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything and be according to his will, he heareth us. Robert Law wrote in his book, The Test of Life, Prayer is a mighty instrument, not for getting man's will done in heaven, but for getting God's will done on earth. Now, let me say this tonight. It is God's will that we pray. It is God's will. God, what is your will? He wants you to pray. <laughs> if you're not praying, you're out of God's will. Amen? You're not reading his Bible, you're out of his will. It is God's will that we pray. Listen to this. 
What do we mean by God's will? God's will is God's best for our life. Sponsors, staff members, deacons, Sunday school teachers, please help me with our young people. Don't portray God's will as being ethereal, unreachable, unattainable, mystical. It is not on any of that. God's will is God's best for everyone's life. It's God's best for your life. That's simply what it is. I'll be honest with you. I, I grew up as a young Christian, and they'd have people come preach Romans 12, 1 and 2. And you know, when you, when you understand God's will, it's like a magnet that pulls you to it. It is not a repellent. And I've heard so much preaching about God's will that repels an individual, especially a young person, because it gets them all frightened and scared about who's going to take care of me and all that. Well, that's what God's will is all about. The last thing you should be worrying about is how you're going to take care of you. God's will is not for you to be worrying about you taking care of yourself. God's will is designed for you to learn to let God take care of you. I said let God take care of you, amen? It's not about you taking care of yourself. It's God taking care of you. God will give you the wisdom what to do about that. I mean, if we can help our young people to grasp that, young people should be flocking and embracing the will of God for their life. God's will is God's best for our life. Let me say this. God's will is what he wants done on earth. Now, have you asked God recently, God, what do you want done on earth? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a Catholic prayer. That's a Bible prayer. Listen to this. God's will is what will give him the most glory. Now, you and I were made to glorify the Lord. If you haven't figured that out, you've got to get it straight tonight. We were made to glorify God. Our life is to honor him. Okay? The, the basic thing every Christian can do is give glory to God. Somebody help me with that tonight. Amen? The basic thing you can do is give glory to God. A little child can give glory to God. I mean, it doesn't take rocket science to figure that. out. You don't have to go to a seminary Bible college to figure out that the Bible says very plainly, we're to glorify God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. We're to live for the glory of God. Now, notice our passage here. Answered prayer, you want to write this down. Answered prayer is the who, what, why, when, where, and how of the will of God. Answered prayer is the who, what, when, when, I'm speaking in tongues now, who, what, when, why, where, how, so blah, 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 you know, of the will of God for your life. Now, how do we know God's will then? Look at the passage again. If we ask anything according to his will. Now it's presumed as John wrote that, and these believers did, they knew how to ascertain God's will. Did you know God given us everything to how to figure out what his will is? Did you know that? Yes, he has. Okay? He's given us everything we need to know and discern his will. Answered prayer is the who, I better say this slow so I don't speak in tongues, the who, the what, the when, the why, the where, and how of God's will. Let me tell you three things about this permission. But how do we know God's will? Write this down. Number one, we can know God's will, number one, through the Holy Scriptures. It's right here. You didn't read your Bible, you don't know God's will. Come on. Why you're in the dark. You're not reading God's word. You don't have a flashlight for the dark. 
Amen. You're tripping over your feet. You're walking in puddles when you can call, call on, the, on the God of heaven to open the Red Sea. Come on. Come on. The Holy Scriptures. God's Word reveals God's will. Now I'm going to give you a few things tonight to get you started. Understanding the Holy Scriptures and God's will. These are probably not in your notes, so you have to hang with me on this, okay? Number one, would you write this down? Matthew 9, 38. We are to pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest. That's God's will. There's a correlation between the sending of missionaries and the praying for laborers in the harvest. Now, I'm going to take responsibility for that because we need to do a better job in the church beginning here of praying corporately for laborers to send the harvest. Listen to what Jesus said to his disciples, and they weren't even apostles yet at this time. They were not even apostles. They were just kind of following the Lord, and he was going everywhere, doing everything for everybody, and he stopped one day, and the Bible says he looked on the multitudes and had compassion upon them, and this is what he said. Notice what he said to them. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I believe, now I can't prove this, but I believe that Acts chapter 13 verses 1 to 3 when Paul and Barnabas were called by the Holy Spirit to be the mystery center of Antioch, I believe they were praying this prayer. I believe that's what the church was doing. I think they were in accordance with that. So you know what, what what's God's will is? God's will is we're praying for laborers for the harvest. That's we, everyone should be praying for that. You should have one day out of the week. Hey, write this down. You should have one day out of the week that you're praying for missionaries. Now, you may not get to all of them, but you should be praying for missionaries. You should be praying for laborers. You should be praying for the countries those missionaries represent there, okay? Secondly, we're to pray for sinners to be saved. We're pray, to pray for sinners to be saved. We read Psalms 2.8. Listen to 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us, word, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what? God is pleased when we are praying and asking him to save sinners. Now, we've got a large, large number. If we just add it all up, just the people in prayer groups right now, we have an incredibly large number of uh, uh, church members and church attendees who have unsafe family members and friends they're burdened to pray for. You know what we need to pray for tonight? We need to, beginning tonight, we need to pray for the impossible. We need to pray for unsaved people to get saved. You say, well, they don't comprehend. Let's pray that God will change their mind. Let's pray that God will turn their heart. We might even have to pray for circumstances in their life that will get their attention upon God. Whatever it takes, we need to pray for God to do those things in, the, in their lives here. John, praying John Hyde. I don't know if you're familiar with John Hyde. If you can get the biography of John Hyde, it will change your life. John Hyde it was nicknamed Praying Hyde. John Hyde was a missionary to the, to the Indians. And, the, and he prayed this prayer. He said, Father, give me these souls or I die. And that literally happened to him. He died at a young age. He said, Father, give me these souls or I die. He prayed for souls to be saved. And God gave him a harvest of sinners that got saved. Now, I notice another thing. We're to pray for boldness in our witness. Now, we get the example there in Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. Peter and John, who were very bold, lost their boldness because they got censured by the, by the high priest and the religious leaders in Jerusalem. They got censured. They said, you're not to speak in this name anymore. They were censured. They said, don't speak in this name anymore. You're going to be in trouble. They said, they didn't know what to do. And I talked about this last week. They went into their own. They came back to the church of Jerusalem and said, we don't know what we're going to do. And so they said, well, we need to do what we do best. We need to go pray. Amen. They said they had a prayer meeting. This is what they prayed. Verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings. 
and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And notice verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness, God gave them boldness. Now, one of the greatest things we can do, if we want to be an on-fire church that's getting out the gospel, the first thing we have to deal with is our lack of courage, our lack of boldness. You know what we should be praying for before we come to soul winning? Before we even get assembled together? Pray for boldness. We need to pray for boldness in our witness. Listen, I'll tell you, even even as as, as long as I've been saved and and, and just loving to talk to people, my first few times when I start talking to people and I go out witnessing, my first five or six doors, my first five or six people, I'm kind of just stumbling my way along because I'm asking for boldness from God. And after about the fifth or sixth person, I mean, I'm I'm feeling like I'm right right where the Lord wants me to be to just try to get the gospel in them. But we need to pray for that boldness because, listen, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're we're, we're living in a generation where it's just one of the most difficult generations to get the the gospel people. But when we pray for boldness, God gives us that boldness to proclaim his word there. Here's another thing that's praying according to the will of God. We're to pray about all of our anxieties and worries. All of our anxieties and worries. Now, I'm talking to people right now watching my stream. Some of you are stressed out. I mean, you get, you get bothered and anxious and you're worried and you're worried warts and you just have a difficult time. It might be just your nature. It might be just growing up with a lot of insecurities in your life. You've never gotten victory over those insecurities. And, and maybe you were just, you were made to feel very inferior growing up as a child. And so you have these worries and anxieties. And maybe you had parents that always got worried and anxious about things. But the Bible teaches us as believers that it's God's will that we pray about our anxieties and worries. Now listen again to Philippians chapter 4 verses 6 and 7. We kind of give that as a as a panacea for people. It's more than a panacea. It's an adamant principle that we and, and requirement of God that when we have worries and anxieties in our life, we're to pray about them immediately. Now, the average Christian, I said this in several messages this past year, the average Christian that I know, they go to everybody they, they know and ask them for a solution, but they, and they wait till they're at their wit's end before they go to God. By that time, they're popping pills, they're on, they're on sedatives, they're on antidepressants, they're on all these different... And I'm not discounting that there's some people that have difficulties, they have to be on antidepressants, that's why they prescribe them. But I'm just saying that before they've even talked to God about it, they've gone to everybody else, and they're, they're in a worse shape than they were before, and so they're not better off. Here's what the Bible says, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious. Don't, don't live in a world where cares are weighing you down. Be careful for nothing, but in everything. Now, did you hear that? In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. I want you to think with me for just a minute. Think of the context where Paul wrote that. He's writing that to the church at Philippi. That was a great praying church. That was a great sowing church. And he's telling not just the church membership, he's telling the leadership in the church, which was all stressed out. He says, be careful for nothing. But he said, in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. He says, now give it to God, thank him for the trial, thank him for the problem, thank him for the difficulty, but bring the request to God. He says, bring it to him. He said, let your request be made known to God. You know what he's telling us? He says, come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may attain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Why, why do we do that? Because now he tells in verse 7, he says that, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What's he teaches about the Holy Scriptures? God contains in his word certain things to, that are within God's will we're to pray about. Hey, we're to pray for wisdom. We're to pray for wisdom. That's what he says in James 1, 5. We're to pray for wisdom. If any of you like wisdom, how many of you like me? You like wisdom. If you, if you feel like you've got wisdom, then God's going to put you on a category. You're, you're probably somebody to be very proud. We lack wisdom, Amen. Wisdom is having foresight. 
The prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. Uh, for, uh, wisdom is being able to problem solve. There are just some problems we have that God puts in our life and he intentionally puts in our life to realize we can't solve them. He has to solve them. So he says, if any of you lack wisdom, and the context of that is when we go through a trial. You know what we should be praying for when we go through a trial? First of all, thank you, Lord, for putting that trial in my life. Count it all joy when you fall in diverse temptations. Thank the Lord for the trial. Number two is, Lord, what do you want me to learn from it? What are you trying to accomplish in my life? Help me to have insight, Lord, so I know what you're trying to help me accomplish. That's the will of God for our life. That's how we get answers for That's how God actually expedites getting us out of the trial instead of prolonging the trial. He says, if any, he says, many of you lack wisdom. Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and abradeth not. It shall be given. God doesn't hold back on us. He gives you the wisdom that you need. Hey, listen to this. 1 John 5, 16. We're to pray for a brother who's living in sin. That's the context here. We're to pray for a brother or sister in Christ who's living in sin. Now, he's not talking about someone who's at a place where they're, they're, they're really far from God, but he's just saying you know they're in sin, you need to pray for them. Look what he says here. If any man see his brother sin a sin, which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin unto death. Now, the sin unto death is where the, the person's gone to the place, according to Hebrews chapter 10, where they have just, they're very defiant against God. And um, they just decide that, you know, they, 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 uh, they despise God's word. That's what the word that's used there. It's a, he describes it in Hebrews 10, 26 as despising God, the Lord's commandments. But they despise God's commandments. I don't believe that. I'm not going to follow that. They despise the commandments of God. And he describes it this way. They're so far from God. They're... They're stamping under their feet the Lord Jesus Christ, and they despise the spirit of grace. Read it there in, in Hebrews chapter 10. That will lead a person to the sin unto death, where they're just basically turn their back on God, and they say, I don't need you, God. I don't need you. But he's saying here, for the person who's not at that place, but there's just a, a sin in their life. Here's what John was saying there, and he, I think he's saying out of a heart of compassion and love. If any man sees his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask. He said, and God will give him life for them that sin on death. Hey, listen, James chapter 5, after we read about Elijah in prayer, you know, it tells us to, to go out and reach the person who's, who's fallen away. We're to go out and reach them. It's because it says we can save a, multi, a person from a multitude of sins. We can keep them from getting in a worse condition. We're to pray for someone who's living in sin. Listen, you know, we get concerned as Sunday school teachers, and, and we get concerned about these people, and we go after them to all these things. You know what we need to do before we go after them? We need to pray for them. We need to pray that God will tenderize their heart and prepare them so that we can lovingly and compassionately come to them and say, hey, listen, I need to talk to you about this situation. Let, let's see what we can do about this and to get them out of that condition so they'll turn back to God. I mean, this, that, the Bible tells us that's what we're supposed to do there. We study the Scriptures. We read God's commandments. We read God's promises. The commandments and promises that God gives us help us to see God's will in our praying there. We just can't emphasize the promises without the commandments. And so as we go through the Word of God, and I just gave you a few of these things. There are things we're to pray for. The Holy Scriptures reveal to us the will of God. You know, I was praying the, the other day. A preacher gave me an invitation to, come, to go back east to pray late, to go preach for him later this year. And it's for basically a five-day revival. And I'm preaching several times there. And I told the preacher, I said, well, preacher, I said, I, I want to help you. And he's a good man. He's preached for us. You'd know him if I told you. And he, he's pastoring a church. He's really got the church turned around there. 
And, he, and he, I said, preacher, I want to help you there, but I'm just going to tell you, my one thing I'm really concerned about is that if our, if our area continues on shutdown, I don't want to be in a situation I have to come back and I have to self-quarantine. I'm out of the pulpit for three Sundays. I said, I just can't do that. I, I can't risk putting my church in that situation where I'm out of the pulpit there. And I started reading the scriptures uh, yesterday and, and we're going through the, and God gave me some verses and revealed to me his will. He says, this is what I want you to do about this. And God told me specifically what he wants me to do about that situation. There. We've got to go to the word of God and find God's word about it. Uh, Jim Shetler, who's, who's down there at Lancaster, right now. Jim Shetler, I remember the, the, when the, the first year that he had uh, come over to help with the college there. I'd asked Brother Shetler, I said, Brother Shetler, I said, now you, you, you have had, you had a very successful pastor down there in Santa Monica. Why, how did God lead you here to the college? I mean, that's a, that's a 180 degree different, different, uh, you know, approach to thing. He said, you know, Brother Fong, he said, I've been praying and re- praying and reading my Bible. And he showed me the verse from the book of Psalms. He said, right here in Psalms, he showed me the verse. He says, one day as I was praying, God showed me specifically. He said, I knew exactly this, what God wanted me to do. He said, and at that point, I just waited. And it worked out where someone from the college contacted him. He didn't initiate things. They contacted him and God kind of put it all together. He'd already gotten God's permission. That's what God wanted to do. I've seen situations like that over and over again. I'll teach you one of our one of our one of our studies about Psalms 37, 4 and 5. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thy heart. I'll show you how God works through that and how you can find the revealed will of God. I'm just saying tonight, and I don't have time to exhaust it. We can find God's will through the Holy Scriptures. But notice the second thing. We can find God's will through the Holy Scriptures, but write this down. We can find God's will through the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Don't just listen. I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 8. We can know God's will through the Holy Spirit. Now, go with me to verses 26 and 27. And as we read these verses in a moment, let me give you, let me preface what I'm going to read with with this statement. God knows For some of us, if not all of us, we have difficulty in articulating in words what we want to say. Now, some of you, I've prayed with many, many men in our church. We have some in our church, they they are very articulate. I mean, you could tell they've read their Bible and they've just, they've got a heart for God. They're, They're extremely, extremely articulate. But for everyone here today, and watching my live stream, everyone watching my live stream, every one of you who's articulate, I have to remind you tonight of something. This is the body of Christ. And in the body of Christ, we have some wonderful, wonderful believers who struggle in that area. They struggle being in a prayer group or praying out in public because they've never learned how to pray effectively. And so they're shy about what they can't, about not being able to say things or whatever it may be. And so we have to understand, number one, maybe there are some of us here that have difficulty in articulating in word what we want to say. Second thing, as I want to preface it, sometimes we're not really sure what to pray. Some of you like that? I mean, you understand what I'm saying? Some of you like that, you feel like you don't know what to pray? And I want you to be sympathetic tonight. We have people as, we're, as we grow in prayer. And the one reason I'm doing this is because we just have, I, I feel, a, a very large number of people that struggle. They really want to pray. And they really want to get a hold of God. They really want to know, well, how do you get answers to prayer? But they just don't know how to pray. They don't know what to do. That's why God gave us now Romans 8, 26, 27. Would you notice it? Here's what it says, and I'm going to explain it to you. Likewise. Now remember the likewise. Wherever you see the word likewise, it's continuing a train of thought of the previous verses. Likewise, the Spirit, 
that's the Holy Spirit, also helpeth our infirmities. Now, if you've not highlighted and boxed that and bolded that, that phrase right there you need to box and highlight. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Now, that's an encouragement. If you're having difficulty praying, God put that there. God knows that you have that difficulty. For we know not what to pray for as well. Hey, let me tell you something. My wife got diagnosed with cancer back in, back in 2005. I'll be honest with you. I told her this. Honey, I don't even know how to pray to God about this matter. I said, this is so serious. I'm not sure what to say. I talked to preacher friends. They, I, did, I had preacher friends. Honestly, I had preacher friends. They didn't even know how to tell me what to do. I, I said, I've got to distance myself from all these guys. I've got to get to the Word of God and find out what God's got to teach me here. I mean, I just, I don't want to be in this, I don't want to be this bucket where a bunch of people going in the direct, they don't know where they're going. And I said, I've got to know. And the Bible says right here, likewise, the Spirit itself, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. Did you notice he put a colon there? A semicolon? And then he said, but... The Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now I want you to notice, I'm going to break this down for you tonight. None of this, none of this is alliterated. Number one, there are three personalities you find in verses 26 and 27. Did you notice that? There are three personalities. There's the Christian. Right? There's the Christian. Number one. Number two, there's the Holy Spirit. Number three, there's God the Father. He that searches the hearts is God the Father. Now later on, interestingly, you get to verse 34. We have mentioned in verse 34 about the Lord Jesus Christ who makes intercession for us too. What I want you to hone in with me tonight, and this is just kind of getting ahead of some messages later on, and I want you to understand the Holy Spirit's involvement in our praying. The Holy Spirit, as we go to prayer, the Holy Spirit is intricately involved in our praying. He's not on standby. He's not a, he's not a bystander. He's not going to come in when we need. Listen, He is there when we pray. He is there when we pray. And we have to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is why it's so important that you know you're saved. Because as we read Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8 is in unfolds, talks about the life of the Spirit. If the Spirit of God is not in you, you're not one of His. And so as we look at this, and he talks about later on, verses 17 and 18, about calling God our Father and the Spirit of God being in us. Now we get down to verse 26, and he talks about the involvement of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about it, okay? Well, he says he helps us. Well, before we know we ought to help us, he says he tells us what our problem is. Our problem is we know not what we should pray for as we are. And I think it implies two things. One, there's some of us, if not all of us, we're not sure how to say what we're supposed to say. And sometimes, if you think about a lot of our praying, we really don't say much of anything. We're just kind of just talking away. We're not really asking God. And so we don't know what we're supposed to say. And then worse than that, we're not sure what to pray for. So notice he describes it. Notice the Bible here, here in verse 26. He describes it as a as an infirmity. An infirmity. Now I did some study in the word infirmity and it got really got my juices going there. You remember the, there's a story there in Luke chapter 13. The Bible says about a woman that had a spirit of infirmity. You know how to describe her infirmity? She was bowed over for 13 years and couldn't straighten up herself. Have you ever seen anybody like that? You ever seen anybody with a back problem like that? I don't know if that's called lumbago, what that's called. I'm not sure the medical term. They're bent over like this. That's how they walk. Did you know someone like that? Do you think about their quality of life? 
They can't sit straight. They can't sleep well. They don't have good sleep. They can't eat. Their bodily functions are all goofed up. I mean, you think about all the quality of life that you and I take for granted when we do. A person like this, they look up like this. They can't kneel. They can't walk. They can't run. I mean, they barely can walk. It's a pain for them. And you know, over time, because of the curvature of the spine, they actually grow a hump. Some of them get a hump on their back because of time. I mean, the Bible describes this woman that having infirmity as being that she, and, and the Bible describes this. If you read Luke chapter 13, the Bible basically describes this. It says about this woman with infirmity, she was beyond help. That's what it says. She was beyond help. You know what infirmity means? You're beyond help. You're beyond help. That we might find grace to help in time of need. Infirmity, and, and there's another use of the word infirmity. Uh, it's the word that Paul uses in the book of Hebrews. In the latter part of Hebrews 11 where he says, out of weakness, out of inability, they were made strong. It's the, it's the word that Paul uses in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he talks about God's strength being made perfect in our weakness. Hey, can I tell you something about the book of Hebrews? You know what it says? Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Amen. Praise God for that. Amen. Infirmities, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, our inability to speak, our inability to express what is on our heart, our inability to pray, our inability, you know, it's just, you know how he describes it? He says the Spirit makes groanings for us. You know what that's doing? He's replicating how we feel. You know the word groaning means? It's not talking about speaking unknown language. You know what the word groaning means? It means this. My wife, my wife kids me every now and then. I, I just, I'm, when I'm a little bit frustrated with something, I go, oh, my God. Oh. And she goes, honey, you're sighing again. <laughs> she says, are you okay? I said, no, <laughs> I'm not okay. I said, just, I'm overwhelmed, okay? And you know, what the, you, know what the, you know what he's saying here? The Spirit says, the Spirit's praying for us, and he goes like this. He's sighing. That's how you feel. You don't have the words to say what you want to say. You sigh. You feel inadequate. You feel helpless. Listen, if you don't feel helpless in your praying, you need to pray for God to give you a trial so you can feel helpless. Amen? You need to feel helpless in your praying. We ought to feel that helplessness, that inability, that inadequacy, that weakness, that being bent over, and no man can help you. That being bent over, that that's how you feel like you're in life. You're so burdened with life, and you're so encumbered with everything. You're just walking like this, and you're bent over. Because, and, you, and then when somebody says, can I help you, you go, So he says here, he understands our infirmities. And so he says this, notice, the Spirit helps us. Now what does help mean? I'm trying to find some. Help is like this. I've got, a, I've got one of the, the chairs here. And I want you to imagine with me that if I tried to pick up this chair on one end with one hand, I didn't use two hands, it's a, it's a little bit bulky. Now, weight-wise, I can pick it up. I do some weightlifting. I can pick it up. But because of its bulk, the, side, the other side is sagging. I need some help, right? I need someone to help me to straighten it up. You know what help means? When somebody else comes on the other side and they grab the other side and they balance it out, they lay hold of the other side. Help in the Bible means somebody coming alongside of you to balance things out. They lift the part of it that is very difficult for you to contend with. That's what help means. The Bible says we don't know what to pray for as we ought, and we're not sure what to say in words. So the Spirit comes alongside of us. He helps us. He carries the load. Look at verse 26 again. Likewise also, the Spirit 
also helpeth our infirmities. Hey, brother and sister in Christ, everyone should sign up for a prayer group and get involved and not be, be overwhelmed or overcome with your inability to speak or not knowing what to pray for. Everyone should enthusiastically this week get involved in a prayer group. Why? Because the Spirit helps your infirmity. He's there to come alongside of you to help you to pray, to help you to lift that burden there. Now notice what he says here. I'm not done yet. We're just getting the good part here. Amen? How many feel like this is good stuff here? Amen? Notice verse 26. The Spirit itself. Now this is involved in the Holy Spirit. Maketh intercession for us with groanings. Now here's how the Spirit helps us. How does He help us? He helps us through our intercession. This is, this is good. This is, this is wonderful theology. While we are praying or trying to figure out how to pray, He's making intercession for us by saying, now, now, Heavenly Father, you know Alan has trouble saying what's on his heart, and this is how he's talking to you, Heavenly Father. <sighs> so he makes intercession for us, verse 26. He makes intercession for us with groanings, which, can, in other words, he says, you know, he just tells, he just tells God, Heavenly God the Father, he says, now, this is what he's trying to tell you. This is what he's trying to confess. You know, what a wonderful thing to know that we, we, we may not know the words. And I'll tell you, maybe your best praying is when you don't know. You, you, you sound like a failure when you're praying. That's some of your best praying. Did you know that? You, you feel like a failure when you're praying. Your best praying is not how articulate you Listen, the Pharisees sounded really good when they prayed. They couldn't get a hold of God. Amen? Do you know some of the greatest prayers in the Bible that are recorded for us? They're not long prayers. They're short prayers. Jabez, oh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Oh, that thou wouldst bless me indeed. Enlarge my coast, and thy hand would be upon me that may not see evil. And the Bible granted him what he requested, the Bible says. We'll be studying the prayer of Abraham in Genesis 18. Oh, what a great prayer. We talked about it a little bit today, this morning. But the Spirit helps our our, our, by making intercession for us with groanings, with sighs. He sympathizes with us and with groanings which cannot be uttered. Then notice verse 27. Now the Spirit's helping us by making intercession with groanings, with sighs. He's identifying with our inarticulation. He's identifying, he's in, I shouldn't say identifying, he's interceding for us because of our inarticulation, our inability to express what's in our heart, or our inability to get a hold of God. And then it says, he that searches the hearts. Now, did you know when we pray put this away so I don't trip on this. Did you know when we pray, God the Father is actively, and this is in accordance with Psalms 139, God the Father is actively searching the motive of our heart. Did you know that? You know why prayers don't get answered? You know why prayers don't get answered? Number one, you don't ask. Number two, there's sin in your life. Number three, you ask amiss. That's what James 4.3 says. You ask amiss. He's searching our hearts. And he helps reveal to us as he searches our heart. Why does God need to search our heart? Because he wants our motives to be pure. Why does he search our heart? Because at the end result of prayer, God wants us to be a holy people. Listen, R.A. Torrey's book, The Power of Prayer, the greatest emphasis he makes from the beginning of the book to the end of the book is how prayer is an essential necessity in helping promote holiness in the life of the believer. Now, I read a statement. I forget who said this here. And it goes something like this. He said... He said, now, he said that a holy life does not hide in a closet. But a holy life cannot do without the closet. He's talking about the prayer closet. And as you think about it tonight, he says, he that searches the heart. Now, God the Father, 
He knows, now listen, I'm going to tell you, God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. God knows we have difficulties praying. And as a prayer group leader, please reinforce that. Those of you who are prayer group leaders this month, please reinforce that with the prayer group people. They understand. God knows that they have difficulty. And you know, I'll be honest with you. You know, they hear, they hear, they hear someone who's very articulate praying, and they think, oh, I've got to, that's, that's my model. That's not your model. The model, the model really is just be yourself. <laughs> just be yourself and let the Holy Spirit work through your prayer time. That's really what God wants to do. Don't, don't, don't copy somebody else in your praying. I remember years ago, a pastor got saved under. He told people he was going to, the, going to the Israel for a trip there. And all the men that got up to pray, they all prayed the same thing. Lord, bless our pastor as he walks in the land that Jesus walked. They all re- repeated the same thing. Well, you know, when I, when I thought about that prayer, I thought, they're not, that, that's, it really, what did that really accomplish? I'm, and I'm being critical. I'm just saying, what did it really accomplish? They didn't know what to pray. And so we have to think about, what do you pray for? And as we preach with the Bible, sometimes as we preach the Bible, the Bible I'm preaching to telling us, we're giving, we're giving hints to us about how to pray. And so he that searches the hearts, notice this, I love this part, verse 27. He that searches the hearts, that's our hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit. Now there's a direct connection between God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, because God the Holy Spirit is making groanings for us which cannot be uttered. In other words, he doesn't have to articulate the words. He takes our feelings, he takes what's on our heart, so God the Father knows what's in our heart, because God the Father has already searched our heart. He makes it clear to the Father. You know what's happening, sir? God the Father is saying, I know what's on your heart, and I'm, gonna, I'm in the process of answering that prayer, but I just wanted to know, are you sincere enough, and do you mean business enough to spend time with me to tell me what's on your heart? What are you saying there? And so he says in verse 27, And he that searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Notice, because he maketh, notice this, verse 27, this is the Spirit's involvement, because he maketh intercession for the saints, according to what? According to what? The will of God. But the Holy Spirit's involvement. Now, look at the context here. Notice the context. What, hang with me. The context leading to verses 26 and 27 are the sufferings of this present time. He says here, let me see, I think it's verse 19. He says here, um, let me see here, no, verse 18. For I reckon, he was a southerner, amen? For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed. He's talking about sufferings in the Christian life. As he talks about these sufferings, the, the believers were just having a difficult time. He talks about, and then notice in verse 22, he talks about this groaning. Did you see that? Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain even until now. And so he's talking about believers who are suffering. They're going through times of trial and difficulty and they're suffering. They want to know, God, why is this happening? And they want, they're trying to express to God what's on their heart and how they feel because they've never been down this pathway before. And so he tells them, God understands that. And so the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us according to, uh, makes intercession for us according to the will of God. Why? Then we get to verse 28. Here's why. What's the will of God? That we would know that all things work together for good to them that love God. That's the will of God. Amen. What he wants us to arrive at is this point, realizing the will of God is that anything God does in our life, it's good for us. Amen? Anything God does in our life, it's good for us. Now, we may not think from an earthly plateau that it's good, but from a heavenly plateau, it's good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for? So what's the will of God? According to the will of God, that we know 
that all things work together for good. To them who are the called according to his purpose. But why? Notice something else, verse 29. What is the will of God? Number one, verse 28, the will of God that we would know it's good. Number, number two, verse 29, that we be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That's God's will. And then we go a little bit further in this. We realize in verses 30, 31 and 32, God is for us and not against us. And God is for us there, and he helps us to realize that nothing shall separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. As we look at the context of all this, we understand here that the Spirit itself is interceding for us according to the will of God. It's basically telling us God is for us. This takes care of the who, the what, the why, the where, the when, and the how. That's what he's saying. We have the Holy Scriptures to help us with the will of God. We have the Holy Spirit to help us with the will of God. But there's one more, and you don't find this in most... In fact, I don't think you find it in any of the books. But it's biblical. Would you write the third thing down to understand the will of God? There's the Holy Scriptures. That's the Bible. There's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. But there's the Holy Seeking. There's a Holy Seeking. Now, I want you to think with me for just a minute. This will help us... We're going we're to unravel this. Jesus taught the principle of prayer in Matthew 7, 7. Ask and you shall receive. Did he not teach that? We talked about that, right? That's the basic principle, ask. But he said a second thing, which is more than just asking. He says, seek, and you shall find. Now, go with me to Hebrews eleven six, and I want you to look at this, because I, I need you to look at this verse with me. I want you to understand a holy seeking. Go to Hebrews 11.6. Answered prayer according to the will of God involves a holy seeking. Now I want you to notice verse 6. I'm going to read it and I'm going to quickly explain to you what's going on here. But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Park it there. Biblical praying that God answers must be faith praying, believing that he is. Now, he stops there, and then he says, For he that cometh to God, he's speaking about prayer, he that cometh to God must, you want you to triple underline the word must, must believe what? That he is. That he's what? That he's God. That he's able. That he's all-powerful. He is. Not that he was, not what he will be. It's right now, present tense. God is, amen? God is. He says, now faith praying is we must believe that he is. And notice this next phrase here, because we missed this. And that he, he is a rewarder. That means he answers our praying. Of them that what? Diligently what? Whoa, 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 whoa. Fervent prayer, fervent praying is being diligent. Diligently doing what? Seeking. Do you remember the parable about the lost sheep, the lost son, and in between the two of those was the what? The lost silver coin. Remember that story? We're told about a woman that lost a silver coin. You know what that silver coin was? That was part of her dowry that she received when she got engaged for a betrothal. She couldn't, she couldn't risk the thought of losing that, that, that silver coin, just a small little coin. Jews in those days lived in a one-room dwelling. 
what we would think of, when we think of a closet, we think of Western terminology. I think of, you know, these closets we have. That wasn't a closet. The closet was referring to an upper loft that they had. They would have an upper loft. You know, Elisha the prophet, the woman made him an upper loft. People lived in, I mean, everything was in one room. Basically, they had their kitchen, their eating, their dining. Everything was in one room there, okay? So we, we have that. So you know what happens? Now, remember, they didn't have electricity. The woman lost this coin. She looked at her, she looked at this that went around her head, and she noticed that a coin was missing, and she got frantic. She says, that was part of my dowry. And soon as she did, she swept her house carefully. You read about that in Scripture, about sweeping the house carefully. She swept. The Bible, you know what she did? She sought diligently, and she found it. That's the context there. It's something that is lost. You're searching diligently for it. She, searched, she was seeking, and she found. Remember another story? Uh, remember the story there? Let's see here. Uh, uh, Matthew chapter 15, write that down. Matthew chapter 15. Remember, Jesus went, to, he went up to the area of Tyre and Zidon. Right there in the coastline there above where the Philistines, the Philistine land was. Remember there, Tyre and Zidon, Jesus went up there. And she's called the Syrophoenician woman. That's how it's phrased in Matthew chapter 15. She was a Gentile woman. She was not a Jew. Jesus only went up there that one time for that one lady. That woman up there had a daughter that was demon-possessed. When she found out Jesus was in that city, of the city of Zidon, she made her way there. She sought him out. Now, you read the passage itself. It's very self-explanatory. She sought Jesus out, and she prevailed upon Jesus. She sought him for, his, for the deliverance of his daughter. If you watch what she's doing, she's prevailing upon Jesus. And she's, Jesus, in fact, Jesus didn't even answer the first time. And I'll talk about that another time, about why is it that many prayers we ask, God doesn't answer us too much later there. I mean, why does he answer us differently? And God's trying to teach. He didn't answer the first time. But she, gave, she showed her faith, and she showed, expressed her love for Jesus, and she just prevailed on him. And finally, he said, man, he said lady, he says, you know what, I can't throw, I, I can't give my bread, I can't give my bread to dogs. That was kind of an insult, but what he's basically saying, he was testing her to see how, how, how much she meant business. D- Gentiles were called dogs. That's how Jews thought of them. And she wanted to find out. He wasn't being degrading to her. He wasn't being, he wasn't being inhumane or degrading. He wasn't ripping her apart. He just wanted to find out from her in a gentle way. He wanted to find out, did this lady really mean business? I understand she's got a daughter that's got demons in it, and I could take care of that, but I want to see if she really means business or if she's trying to take advantage of me. So he says, he said, ma'am, I can't throw the bread. And the bread he's talking about, again, basic provision. The, you know, I, I don't give what, what belongs to the Jews to Gentiles. And she said this. This is so good. She said, but Lord... Even the dogs, and she's talking about puppy dogs. The word means puppy dog. She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs under the table. You know, she said, Lord, I just take the crumbs. They said, whatever you give me, I'll take it. Would you please deliver mine? She just basically said, Lord, I'm not going to let go of you until you heal my daughter. She was seeking. She was seeking. The Bible says, seek, and you shall find. That's what, that's what this is talking about. You know, praying according to the will of God is God's will that we pray in faith. Did you know that? If you can solve it yourself, that's not faith praying. That's not faith praying. If you've already figured it out and said, well, God, this is what I want to do. And you're gonna, this is the problem with a lot of young people and, and people who come to me. Would you pray about it? And I said, tell me about it. They've already figured out what they want to do. They just want my consent. They don't want counsel. And so if you've already figured it out, that's not praying. You're asking God to bless, but you've already made your decision. Real praying is realizing you're getting the mind of God and saying, God, what do you want to do about this matter, God? Because it may disappoint you. God may have a different idea than you have in mind. Amen? And let me say this tonight. Answered prayer is not about getting God to conform to us. It is about getting us to conform to God. You write that down as a quote. Answered prayer is not about getting, us to, getting God to conform to us. 
It's about us conforming to God. If what you're praying for doesn't make you more holy, if it won't give God more glory, if it won't accomplish the will of God, He's not going to answer that. He's not going to answer it. So much of our praying is about our concocting of things. That's not praying. That's asking God to bless your intentions, your goals, your plans. That's not praying. Not real praying. And so we realize there must be holy seeking. George Mueller said this, Prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. It is laying hold of God's willingness. That's God's will. You ought to read the biography of George Mueller. You ought to read his diary about answered prayers by George Mueller. Man, that will encourage your heart. Boy, that will change your life how he got a hold of God. Let me close with this. It's late. We see the principle. The basic principle is asking. We see the permission. We must pray according to the will of God. And if we pray according to the will of God, the Holy Scriptures reveal to us the will of God. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. And holy seeking is according to the will of God. There is some praying that requires diligently seeking. They that diligently seek Him. We have to, he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Now, diligently seeking might mean you might have to pray for 25 years for someone to get saved, but God will answer that prayer if you just diligently seek Him. You've got to go in that prayer closet. Somewhere. You've got to spend time with God and seek Him out about the matter. And we'll see that, how God prevailed, how, God, how we can prevail in prayer through different... We, and we have precedences of, of this in the Bible there. But let me give this last thing. Notice as we close, we see the promise. Go back to our, our passage and we're done tonight. 1 John chapter 5. He basically says this. This is a confidence we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, notice the last two words, he heareth us. He hears us. And he says in verse 15, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. I wish I could finish on that. There's so many more things to say. I don't have time. The promise is he hears us. We know we have the petitions we desired of Him. This is confident praying. Confident praying is praying according to the will of God. What does God's Word say? When you're at this place, you're not sure what to do. Have you given the Holy Spirit liberty? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. Have you given the Holy Spirit liberty to intercede for you with groanings which cannot be uttered? Are you at the place, you're not sure what to say, and you're just like, That's some of your best praying right there. Because he knows what's on your heart. And he that searches the heart knows what is the mind of spirit because the spirit maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. So I want to close with this. Is what I'm praying for is a selfish gain? James 4.3 says, You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lusts. That means wrong motives, evil, selfish gain. And that in itself, that kind of praying, demonstrates and indicates spiritual sickness on our part. Will my asking glorify and please Him? Will my asking conform me to the will of God? Is my asking casting my dependence upon the Spirit to help me pray? Is my praying faith praying that believes that He is and rewarded them to diligently seek Him? And the answer to all that I want to say tonight is, look at, in Psalms 116, here's what the psalmist said about praying, about how we should approach prayer. Here's what the psalmist said. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplication. Praise God for that. Amen. I love the Lord because He has heard my voice and my supplication. Because He has inclined His ear unto me, therefore will I call upon Him as long as I live. Now that's encouragement for prayer. Confident praying. Confident praying. 
Praying according to the will of God. And by the way, he prefaces it by saying, whatsoever we ask. Whatsoever we ask. As long as we don't ask amiss for selfish gain. We ask so that God can be glorified. And we take us out of the equation. And that, and that we realize that for an answered prayer, for answered prayer in life, is to get us conformed to God, not getting God to conform to us. If we do all that, he says he hears us, and we know that we have the petition we've asked of him. God loves sinners, and God wants sinners to be saved. If we would pray in accordance with the will of God for God to save sinners, we'll see a lot of difference in that. My prayer this year, my prayer this year is we're going to see a lot of unsaved family members come to Jesus Christ and say, we're going to need God to set the tone and change some things around and move some things around to get people sensitive to where they're at the place where they're ready to hear the Word of God. Can I challenge you tonight? Would you be a diligent seeker in your prayer? Would you be a faith prayer in your prayer? Would you pray according to the will of God? Would you have confident praying in your life? Would you just search the Scriptures? Tonight, the Bible gives us the tools Tonight we've seen how God gives us the tools to help us to have effectual praying. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man. It gives us three qualifications. Effectual praying, praying according to the will of God. Praying according to the will of God, God hears us. Fervent praying, we must diligently seek Him. Righteousness, talked about that there's no sin in our life. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. When we meet all those conditions and we're walking right with God and we're obeying His Word, as 1 John 3.22 says, He says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, He says this, availeth much. Availeth much. As I said this morning, the very first prayer you must pray is to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. If you're not saved, that's the most important prayer to make. Would you call on the Lord to save you? Would you join us in prayer for unsaved family members? For next week's services to be overflowing with visitors watching and heeding and listening to the Word of God when Brother Lett comes to preach. We have many lost people in the audience who will hear the Word of God. And, and granted, it will be through live stream, but they'll hear the Word of God and trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Would you pray with me about that tonight? Would you commit your prayer life to God that you're going to grow in prayer and you're going to just say, God, I want my prayer life to change. I want my prayer life to model what the Bible says. 